Today's gospel lesson for the 18th Sunday after Pentecost comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 50. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. I've shared before that I am a lover of food. I love to eat. But on the flip side, I will fully admit that I am not a very good cook. If I'm going to make something, if I'm going to cook something, the vast majority of the time, I have to have a recipe and I have to follow it to the letter. Now, when it comes to cooking, I usually take about twice as long as the recipe says it's going to take because I'm just so meticulous about following that recipe so much. But there are a couple of exceptions. There are two things that I actually consider myself pretty decent at making. Now, one of them is very simple. I can make a pot of rice really, really well, but it's really not hard. You put in the water, you put in the rice, you put in a little bit of salt and butter, and you bring it to a boil, and then you cover it and let it simmer. It's not difficult. The other one is potatoes. I can make potatoes pretty well. And I've got two different ways that I do it. Now, sometimes you just cut them up into cubes and you season them up nice. You put some stuff on, you just put them in the oven and you bake them. Not too hard. The other way is mashed potatoes. That one's even simpler. You put them in the water, you boil them, you mash them up, you put all the good stuff in there with it, you mash it up. Mashed potatoes, really, really simple. A couple of weeks ago, my wife was having a long day and she asked me, Tonight, we're going to have meatloaf and mashed potatoes. Do you think you can make it? And I asked, well, do you have a recipe for the meatloaf? Because I, I need the recipe. And so she sent me the recipe. And I worked on it. And by golly, it came out pretty good. When my kids and I sat down to eat the meatloaf, the meatloaf was great. And in addition, I was making the mashed potatoes. Well, I thought to myself, the mashed potatoes are easy. I know how to do that. That's no problem. And all of my focus was over here on the meatloaf. When all of us took our first bite of mashed potatoes, we realized something because something was missing. I had failed to put any salt in the potatoes and they were so bland. The meatloaf was good, the potatoes were not. That salt was very, very apparent 
in its absence. Now, I bring that up because Jesus is talking about salt today. He's in the midst of a teaching, this, this ongoing teaching that he's been doing, working with the disciples, helping the disciples learn as they are moving ever closer to Jerusalem and the eventual death and resurrection that Jesus will endure. Many different things have been going on. They've been witnesses to so much of his ministry. They've even been participating in his ministry at different times. But everything has not always been perfect. There have been many times, we've heard about them recently, when the disciples have tripped up, when they have not really understood Jesus' teaching very well, and they've made statements that he has rebuked them for. Or they've had arguments over things, and he's, he's gotten after them about that. Things are not always perfect. And there was one moment that actually happened shortly before this particular passage, a time when the disciples encountered a boy who had a demon. And they tried to cast the demon out. And in fact, they already had history with this. Earlier on in the gospel, there was a time when Jesus has given them the authority to do it. But this particular time, they can't pull it off, and Jesus has to do it. They have that in the back of their minds. And then, as things pick up today, as we hear in the midst of this teaching, this teaching that actually picks right up where we left off last week, if you happen to catch that one, we hear that John, one of the disciples, says to Jesus, hey, Lord, we saw someone else, and he was casting out demons in your name, but we tried to stop him because he's not following us. He's not one of us, so we don't think he should be able to do that. And yet again, Jesus gets after them. He brings up this idea of why would you stop him? He's doing it in my name. Anyone who's not against us is for us. And he, he leads them on in this, this teaching. He, he goes on to say that if anyone is doing deeds of power in my name, they're not going to be able to turn around and speak ill against me. Jesus is reminding the disciples, and I think us as well now as we hear it, that the body of Christ the church, whatever we want to call it, is not limited to a single group or to a single procedure or to a single type of way of doing it, that one group or person doesn't have all of this importance in the, the, the church or in the body of Christ, or they don't have the sole ability to perform deeds of power. That's what they seem to be saying. Now, I wonder about this whole situation. Why did John bring this up in the first place? Is he trying to say that Jesus, hey, we're the disciples, we're the ones who are with you, we're the ones who should be able to do this, and they're upset because they weren't able to pull it off? That one before that I mentioned? Are they upset that someone else is doing something and that might take the glory away from them? That could certainly be possible. After all, right before this, they've been arguing about who's the greatest among them and now there's this other guy who's casting out demons and what if people start to look to him as, as one who is, 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 it has the power of, of Christ, the power of the Spirit in them? We don't know what is going on here, but that seems to be the basis for it. But Jesus goes on and he goes on. And he goes on, and he has all of this teaching, including this one about salt. Have salt in yourselves. Salt is good. Everyone will be seasoned, so be seasoned. And then he has this oddball teaching of if, if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And we have other teachings when Jesus talks about salt. He, he tells us at times, you are the salt of the earth, so be salty. And what is Jesus saying with that? Well, I think Jesus is saying a lot of different things. But in this moment, I'm thinking about that example of the mashed potatoes. 
I made potatoes, and the absence of the salt was very apparent. The funny thing about it, you can't look and see if it's there or not. But when you experience it, you can tell if it's there. And you can certainly tell if it's not. I'm thinking of another example in which the presence of salt is apparent. And this happened a few years ago when my wife and I were in Israel. We went to the Dead Sea. Now, if you're familiar or not familiar with the Dead Sea, it is the saltiest body of water in the world. There is so much salt in the solution of the water, in suspended in the water, that when you wade out into it, you literally cannot sink. It is impossible. Even if you try to go under the water, which they tell you not to do because the salt will get in your eyes and will burn them. But if you try and go under, it holds you up. So as you walk out into the water, all of a sudden the buoyancy picks you up and you begin to float. You can't see the salt in the water, but it is, it is blatantly apparent as soon as you start floating in it that it is there. So the presence of salt makes a difference in the water, the presence of salt makes a difference in food. If it's there, it's apparent. And if it's not there, it's apparent even if we can see it or not. And so what does this mean for us as we're thinking about this teaching of Jesus, about being part of the body of Christ, of representing Jesus and experiencing the, 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 the abilities and, and the ministry and being a part of all of that. What does that mean for us? Why does Jesus say to be salty and be at peace with one another, of recognizing that the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, whatever we want to call it, is going to rest upon different people in different ways, and it's going to be expressed in different ways, and no one way is better than another another way, which is better than another way, which is better than another way. They're simply different expressions of the presence of God in the world coming through the individual. When I think about all of this, I think about the way that the Holy Spirit gives gifts, talents, whatever we want to call them, that are different amongst individuals. The Holy Spirit empowers individuals. The Holy Spirit empowers communities. The Holy Spirit empowers the church as a whole. It's operating in so many different ways. And I can't help but think that maybe that presence of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promises us over and over and over again, will rest upon us. I believe that the Holy Spirit is the presence of that salt, that seasoning, which somehow makes us different. The faith that we express, the ability that we have to care for one another and to be different in this world, I believe is the expression and shows the presence of God's Holy Spirit that lies upon each of us. Now we believe, we profess the claim that God places upon us and the gift of the Holy Spirit, which comes to us in holy baptism. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit will rest upon whoever God chooses and will empower every individual in whatever way God chooses, even if it looks different than the way we do it. Even if it looks or appears or sounds or seems different or strange or somehow not right compared to how we think or how I think or the way it's expressed in me. This seems to be the teaching that Jesus is giving, that God will work through the individual. And if that is happening in the name of Christ, who are you? Who am I to say that's not right? That seems to be the issue that the, the disciples are facing for whatever reason. 
and Jesus calls him on it. Now, I appreciate the way that Jesus says, says to the disciples, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I think he's saying two different things. I think he's telling them, be at peace with that one individual that you're talking about who is casting out demons, even though he's not part of our group, part of your group, whatever. And I think he's also telling us to be at peace with one another, even if an expression of faith doesn't seem like it lines up with the way that we do. Be at peace with one another and recognize that we are all part of something greater, something bigger than we are, that we are in relationship with one another and that it is a good and glorious thing. But here's the other side of this coin, the thing that we also remember and recognize and have even expressed earlier in our service today as we, we join in the brief order, when we recognize the brokenness that lies within us, the times when our own selfish ambition or our own issues will get in the way and hinder the relationship amongst one another or between us and God. We call this sin. We oftentimes, I call it brokenness. We call it a lot of different things, but it, it boils down to this hindered reality, this hindered relationship. But thanks be to God that God has done something about that. We cannot do so. We cannot earn salvation. We cannot earn righteousness in the sight of God because we are broken and flawed people. We are good, but we are not perfect. That is how we are made. And I believe God knows that. And so whatever it was that Jesus was ultimately accomplishing, when he would get to Jerusalem and he would be betrayed and he would suffer and he would die and then he would rise again, whatever it was that was going on there, it seems to have somehow overcome that brokenness that lies within each of us to somehow make reconciliation possible between us and between us and God. This is the gift of God's mercy the gift of God's grace, the gift of God's love that lies upon all of us, and the call of discipleship, which is what the disciples are exploring at this time, seems to be a call for us to be empowered through the, by the Holy Spirit to use the gifts and talents that God has given each one of us, the ones that are inherent to us as individuals, to proclaim this gospel, to proclaim this good news, to share this good news with one another. And when we mess that up, which we do, that points to the brokenness, the sin, whatever we want to call it that lies with us. And Jesus talks about that too. Now, right before this passage, we have just heard how Jesus has taken a small child in his arms and he's holding it. And I think that's the little one that he's talking about. He says that any of you caused this little one who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and get tossed in the ocean. Or he says, if your hand causes you to sin or to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If your eye causes you to sin, pull it out and throw it away. It would be better for you to be maimed or lame or blind and enter into the kingdom of God than to, than to be whole and to be thrown into hell, is the way he says it, to be cast into the fire. I think what Jesus is reminding us there is to recognize that as we proclaim this gospel, as we embrace the power of the Holy Spirit within each one of us to be different in the world and to help the world to be different, there are times when we're going to mess it up. And the consequences of that is death, which is a part of our reality. But we also remember and cling to the promise that through the power of the Holy Spirit, 
made real through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, forgiveness for those errors, forgiveness for those times when our own selfish nature takes over and we fail to do what God seems to desire, that has been overcome on our behalf. That is the gospel that we are called and empowered to proclaim. A gospel that is so contrary to the rest of the world. It's different to the rest of the world. But when it is present, by golly, you can tell. Just like salt. You can tell when it's there, and you can tell when it's not. May we all embrace the difference, the power of the Holy Spirit that lies within us, and follow the prompting of the one who made us in the first place to make this world a different place, a better place and to ask for forgiveness in those times when we fail.